are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Up. And this week we are reviewing the races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. Joining me for tonight's show is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, excited. I know we had a big discussion about this of the prestige of Indy. I think we're going to have some great discussions throughout the review as well as then Hot Topics as it pertains to that. Yes, indeed. And tonight uh, on Hot Topics, it'll be you, me, and Tommy that will be joining us for Hot Topics tonight. Uh, but first, in the first half hour, we are going to give you a few updates from the Arkham Menards series, the East and the West series, along with the updates from the NASCAR Truck series. Uh, none of those series raced this weekend, so uh, during the next uh, 40 minutes or so, we'll get into the Xfinity series and the Cup series and review their race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. Uh, some pretty exciting racing this weekend. 9.30, we'll get into our Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan racing crew. And uh, with that, Jay, uh, we'll go ahead and get started with our ARCA review. We've actually got a double header coming up this weekend for the ARCA Menard Series. Yeah, I was looking at that, and I, and I wasn't aware of that, but I was like, something's not right. I'm seeing, you know, Friday and Sunday, but I forgot that they do that throughout the season. I do think it's kind of a cool setup. I know it may be hard on some of the teams, uh, but they make it work. Yes, indeed. Uh, the races this weekend, the Arkham Art Series is actually going to race at Michigan International Speedway on Friday, August the 20th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it's a two-mile paved oval. Uh, but then after that, <laughs> uh, we'll go to Irwindale Speedway in California for the Napa Auto Parts 150 presented by Sunrise Ford for the Arco West Series race on Saturday night, p.m. Eastern. So that's another half-mile paved oval for the Arkham and Art Series West. And then the Arkham and Art Series shows up in Illinois at the Springfield um, State Fairgrounds Sunday, August the 22nd, for a 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time race uh, at the One Mile Dirt Oval. That race is available on MAP TV and Track Passes NBC Gold. The race at um, Irwindale is going to be on Track Pass NBC Gold, as well as TheArcaRacing.com. And the other race uh, at uh, Michigan is also on MAP TV, as well as uh, Track Pass and NBC Sports Gold. So, uh, three big races this weekend in the ARCA series. It is, and, and not to say one's bigger than the other, but anybody that knows me, as well as the fans here on Fan for Racing, I'm a little excited about Sunday's dirt, ra dirt race for the ARCA Menard series. <laughs> and I know they're the ones that kind of set that standard, the truck series, now the cup series, and uh, have followed suit with at least having the one race per year. But the Arkham Menard series has been doing it for a long time, and I did always like that mm -hmm. about the Arkham Menard series. Yeah, it's really cool. 
uh, that they're doing it at the Illinois State Fair here in Illinois. Um, now, I will also mention that the ARCA East, uh, let's see, we mentioned the West. The ARCA East, their next race is actually going to be on August the 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern at the Milwaukee Mile. And uh, I believe that series is also racing that event because it is also part of the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, racing. So that will be another triple points weekend in the Arkham Menard Series for the East, the Arkham Menard Series, and the Sioux Chief Showdown. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Uh, one of those, of, uh, like you said, call it a triple points, three different series in one race or point systems within one race just makes that so much more intense, so much more exciting for the fans. I don't know how the drivers feel about it, but I think overall that that intensity just levels up. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, So I really encourage everybody to go over to Arca Menard Series, the uh, website, arcaracing.com. They have a lot of great articles up there. Uh, about the upcoming races, as well as uh, things about the Sioux Chief Showdown is going to sponsor uh, the finale for that series at Salem Speedway. And uh, there's also some discounted Springfield Mile tickets available at Arkham Menard's locations here in Illinois. So uh, some really great stories, too, about some drivers that are going to be racing in some upcoming Arca races. Uh, and have raced at Watkins Glen as well. So uh, always good reading at ArcaRacing.com. You know, you actually kind of hit on a nerve there, though, Sharon. We're already having to talk about finales. Uh, You know, uh, I know with the Arca Menards West Series, especially a shorter schedule, a little more spread out. feels like we haven't even gotten to cover any of their races, and now we're already starting to talk about their finales or the last couple. And I know on the Xfinity and Cup side trucks, we're talking about the playoffs, but that's still eight to ten more races, which is their whole schedule. So uh, kind of a kind of yeah. a heartstring there when you said finale already. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep in mind that the Sioux Chief Power Packs 200 at Salem Speedway is set for Saturday, October the second. So it'll be a while before that race takes takes place. Uh, but uh, just to let folks know uh, that Sioux Chief is show, sponsoring that showdown finale Speedway in October. Yeah, I know it, it is only a couple months away, but as we've seen her, I personally feel the time flies because we are in August. You know, we just started <laughs> talking racing, and all of a sudden we're talking about playoffs and finales. Exactly. Now, just a programming note here, too. Uh, Jay and I will be uh, previewing those three races that we talked about in the Arkham and Art Series and the Arco West uh, that are coming up this weekend. We'll do that preview on Thursday night show that starts at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time this Thursday. I'm looking forward to that as well as then another big weekend for the Cups uh, Xfinity and trucks, uh, trucks there. We got a highlight. They're coming into their playoffs. Yes. Uh, this is going to be an exciting weekend at Michigan. This will be their first race of their playoffs. And, uh, the entry list is looking pretty good for that fire keepers, uh, 400. 
Casino 400. Yeah, that will be interesting. So many things going on here. I, you know, as we get closer to the playoffs, the different the storylines change. Uh, what we're looking at, we almost had a huge shake up here. When we get to the Cup Series, we'll talk about that. Uh, still an awesome race and, and great result, but it, it could have been huge when we're talking about playoffs when it comes to the Cup Series. Okay, let me clar- let me uh, correct myself. Uh, the Truck Series is actually racing at Gateway this weekend, not Michigan, and the name of their race is the Toyota 200 presented by CK Power. Uh, I thought I was pulling up the trucks, and, in fact, I pulled up the Cup Series uh, when I gave you that information, so my apologies uh, for the misinformation there. And that that one of those is is one of those that is one of my favorite. I know Sharon, you're you're a big fan of it based on location uh, close to you, but mm-hmm. uh, it really is a Midwest track. And I think that is one of those that the Truck Series holds as their own. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the old Milwaukee Mile Gateway. Several of these, and now known as Worldwide Technology Raceway. Sorry, but that the, that truly is the heart. Uh, you know, your short tracks how they got started, what the truck series especially really was run on when they first started. Yeah, there's 40 drivers that were entered for this weekend, uh, but a couple entries uh, may not race because uh, of their point situation. But, uh, again, this is the first race of their playoff, uh, so this is going to be exciting. I was trying to find. Uh, did you? Is there an actual uh, entry list? There we go. Yes, there I see is it now. Yeah. Um, and again, we'll kind of get into more detail there when we uh, do our preview on Thursday night uh, for the race at Gateway. Uh, but uh, right now, it is scheduled. Uh, let's see. No, those are the updates. Uh, let me go to the page. Friday, August the 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, definitely keep uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, John Henry Nemechek was the regular season uh, champion, uh, but there are going to be some interesting things going on at Gateway this weekend as these driver, drivers are going to be uh, jockeying for their position in, after the first race in their playoffs. And the one, the one thing you mentioned uh, or that, that I think of when you're talking about some of the different drivers, uh, just scrolling through, I saw Ty Majeski on the list for Thor Sport as a, an extra truck, but the 51 of Kyle Busch Motorsports. Because once they enter into the playoffs, you can't have a driver that is competing, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sharon, once the playoffs start, you can't have a driver that's competing four points in the Cup or the Xfinity. Now, it might only be Cup Series drivers. I know we had that issue in that final race last week. But once the playoffs starts, I thought it was either or. So the 51 that Kyle Busch has been in and out of, I know he used up his races anyway, but Derek Griffith's going to be in that mm-hmm. one. Ty Majeski in the Thor Sport. And I was trying to see there, Nice Motorsports had uh, another one in there. Uh, Jake Griffin in theirs. So these teams mm-hmm. that kind of rotate drivers a little bit uh, have to pick from a different pool of drivers, which I always like to see here at the end of the year. Yes, that is true. Now, uh, full-time drivers that are racing for points in the Cup Series 
cannot race in the other series. Um, but there are drivers that if they're less than three years in the Cup Series full-time, they can race as many races as they want in the other series as long as it's not a playoff race. So uh, once the playoff begins, you don't see uh, drivers coming in from the other series at all. And you want to know what? You just put a new hot topic into my head if we get to it tonight. If not, I'll try and remember to carry it over to Thursday on that point. So uh, thought popped into my head there. Uh, But uh, uh, this is going to be a very exciting race. I do want to kind of cover the points here in the truck series because they are uh, they are uh, starting their playoffs. Uh, we want to kind of cover the points and let you know where they are headed into those playoffs. And again, we'll get into more detail on Thursday. Uh, we know that John Hunter Nemechek is the driver with the most wins, so he sits at the top of that list today. All right, give me one second to scroll down to that and pull it up. Uh, you mentioned that they are going to be the reseeding, if you will. Let me see if that link has it. Hopefully that one has it updated with the playoff rankings now. But, yes, John Hunter Nemechek as your regular season champion, getting those bonus playoff uh, points. Yeah, this one doesn't have it reseeded or set yet, it doesn't look like. But I'll run yeah, down it as they work. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I had pulled up the one-off J-skis. All right. Uh, if you want to hit them, if you have that pulled up, and I'll try and pull up uh, NASCARs real quick. Okay. I'm going to go with the uh, ranking according to uh, the playoff, the projected playoff ranking. And that does have John Hunter Nemechek at the top of the list with 2,049 points. Uh, and he has the 48 uh, playoff points. And yeah, he has a lot of playoff points uh, that really gives him a, a significant lead over Austin Hill in second place. Uh, Austin has the two victories uh, that put him in second place. Ben Rhodes is third with 2019 points, also with two victories. Then you've got Todd Gilliland in fourth. Uh, he has one victory, and Sheldon Creed in fifth also has one victory. The rest of the field have no victories. So you've got five drivers with victories and five drivers without. And that's where where we talked about all the way leading up to this of what you could build up in playoff points to put in, I think it was Larry McReynolds that coined it, the playoff bucket. So when you started, it gave you that little bit of an advantage rather than a one-point or a five-point separation. You could build up even more. Uh, and we talked about and we saw that from the get-go when they started this a few years back. Martin Truex at the Cup Series level really showed the value of that as you work your way through the playoffs, having that cushion, getting a mulligan if you need it. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Do you want to cover the next five, Jay? I could I could not get the Truck Series pulled up for some reason. I only have the Cup and the okay. Xfinity. I don't know where Okay, so let's go with uh, the next five drivers that are in the playoffs. Um, that would be Zane Smith in sixth place at 2,009 points. Then you've got Matt Crafton in seventh at 2,004 points. Carson Hosevar at 2,002 points. Chandler Smith at 2,001, and he is tied, but with Stuart Friesen 
uh, also at 2001 points. Uh, Chandler has the advantage, though, because he has the five top tens compared to Stuart Friesen's four top tens. So um, uh, it's, it's pretty tight, 2001 to 2049. Uh, but a lot of that's going to work its way. It's going to settle in here a little bit with that first race, that gateway. It will. You're right. It will real quick like uh, three races are going to go by like that uh, before you know it. And the interesting thing I look at, you're obviously still looking for a win because that advances you on. But some of these drivers really do have to keep an eye on those points. We already got two that are projected as out, and we haven't even started because they will cut, have that cut line of elimination. So I do, I, I really like the way NASCAR has set this up with this elimination style format. The win you move on and those points become ever so valuable, and we're talking about one position on the track, because we have seen it come down to a tie, and then it's your best finish through those three races. True, and so those top fives and those top tens really make a difference when it is that tight, Uh, and these guys are going to try to get as many top fives as they possibly can uh, over these next three races, uh, because they, they will be eliminating drivers uh, in this truck series uh, rather quickly. So um, there's a lot to look forward to with the race at Gateway this weekend. It's, it's, uh, and, again, we will give you a great deal more detail uh, when we do the review, a preview, I'm sorry, on Thursday night here on Vamp Racing Radio. Uh, I'm going to go ahead now and let's move on to the – uh, Arca Menard Series, they raced this weekend, uh, I'm not the Arca, the Xfinity Series, raced this weekend out at the road course in, uh, in, uh, in, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course, and uh, it was a pretty exciting race, uh, and I want to give you the uh, results uh, from that race, so... Let's go ahead and start that. Austin Spindrick, uh, his family has uh, roots in Indianapolis, and so this was a lifelong dream for him to win at the Brickyard Road Course. Uh, so it was a storybook ending for Austin Spindrick Saturday afternoon in the Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard, and the 22-year-old was user roots of appropriately celebrated his first win at the renowned Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course by singing back home again in Indiana as he took the victory lap. While leading the most laps, Austin Sender cruised to the win in the Xfinity Series race on the road course. It was Hendrick's, I'm sorry, Sendrick's fifth victory this season and his fifth career road course victory tying the record for the most wins on a road course with A.J. Allmendinger and Marcus Ambrose. After winning the second stage, A.J. Allmendinger actually finished second, then it was Justin Haley in third, despite winning the opening stage. Uh, Chase Elliott uh, in fourth, and Noah Gregson round out the top five. The next five drivers were Austin Dillon, Myatt Snyder, Riley Erbst, who had a good finish, uh, Harrison Burton, and Andy Lally rounding out the top ten. 
There were eight, eight lead changes among five drivers and five cautions for 15 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 73.825 miles per hour. Uh, it was the 18th annual Penzoil 150 at the Brickyard. Uh, and again, Cindric's 13th victory in 121 Xfinity Series races. His fifth victory this year, 17th top 10 finish. Uh, this was his first victory and second top 10 finish in two races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. A.J. Allmendinger posted his second top 10 finish in two races at the Indy Road Course and his 14th top 10 finish this year. Justin Haley posting his second top 10 finish in two races at the Indy Road Course. And Ty Gibbs, who is 19th, was the highest finishing rookie. Again, Austin Cindric ties Marcus Ambrose and A.J. Allmendinger for the NASCAR Xfinity Series most road course wins all time with five each. So that was pretty cool to see as well. It was. We know we talked about uh, Austin Cindric being able to win on all different types of tracks, not just being a road course ringer, as, as you want to call him. But that is still his specialty and one of his uh, best tracks, and, and he proved it going toe-to-toe yet again this year with A.J. Allmendinger. If you remember last year's race or you watched the pre-race show, both of them looking for redemption because they both said they kind of made sure the other one didn't win it, which they did because mm-hmm. Chase Briscoe won it. Um, so both of them looking for that redemption story. And I listened to some of the post-race uh, audio from A.J. Allmendinger. I mean, he was absolutely heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really but wanted to win that race. You, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the storyline of Austin Sindrick winning is a very excellent story, uh, being able to capitalize on the family ties to that track in that area. But then you had Justin Haley and Noah Gregson. Noah Gregson, one of them that was battling right there with them last year. And the the mm-hmm. Chase Elliott story, that one we know what he can do in the Cup Series. We've seen him now a couple times uh, in the Xfinity Series filling in for the injured Michael Annette. We'll talk about that here in a minute with the uh, when we look at the point standings. Uh, but Chase Elliott uh, kind of changed that, you know, as a la- late decision. Kind of put, a, I, don't, I don't know about fear, but awareness on him as he comes in, has to be considered one of the favorites in the contenders. So that kind of changed the mindset of who these other drivers know they're going to have to race against. That is so true. Uh, so that last-minute change, uh, like you said, changed the mindset of quite a few of the drivers uh, that we know are really good on road courses. Uh, what do you think about Ty Gibbs and his finish? Uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be uh, the one to beat. At India's road course. Well, you know, it's one of those of you come out, especially at his young of age, coming out and and winning these races uh, so early that eventually uh, reality is going to catch up with you. I'll say it that way. You're you're not indestructible. Uh, obviously, was still a contender, but maybe not as strong as we've seen him um, at other times. But that. Like I said, maybe a little bit of a reality check that that everything is not perfect all, all the time. So 
I hate to say it's good for a driver to go through that of, of have that bad race, but it really is. I mean, it's part of the growth and maturity level of, of a racer. Yeah, and I really think that Indianapolis is one of those tracks uh, because it's concrete, because it's a, a flatter track. Uh, I think that the experience uh, that drivers have on that track uh, is really showcased uh, how, how important that is and the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So uh, I think experience uh, counts for a lot there. It certainly does. As we, as I mentioned, just in the top five, we saw three that were the contenders there last year. And I know you can compare it to the Daytona road course or the Charlotte Roval, but like you mentioned, this one obviously a lot flatter because you don't ever get into that banking that you have at Charlotte or Daytona. So you're, you're right. That might have been a factor to it um, for Ty Gibbs. Yeah, I really think it was. Uh, but Ty Gibbs, uh, I don't mean to take away from his talent because we all know that he's a talented driver. And uh, my guess is he's going to be racing in the Xfinity Series full-time next year. So uh, we will see him uh, showcase his talents at Indianapolis uh, sometime soon, I'm sure. Yeah, that, I mean, that, like I said, that, that's going to continue to grow. Uh, from what we've seen so far of his starts, it seemed like he was just absolutely unbeatable. So to see that and know you're going to occasionally have those hiccups, like we talk about drivers in the playoffs, you you know, build up that throughout the year so you have that cushion to fall back on. Uh, For him, the experience level, I think it was good for him to go through a a rougher race, you know, a little bit of a struggle, if you will, uh, to keep the – and not that he wasn't being humble by any means, but just like I said, that kind of ground you of of keeping in mind of, hey, everything's not always going to be – perfect and you're going to have the best car uh, on the every every day and and now in my mind i'm thinking kyle bush <laughs> you know <laughs> yes uh so uh we'll definitely look forward to next year's race again at indianapolis motor speedway um and i know we talked about this a little bit on before we get into the points i want to mention this too we talked about this a little bit on our hot topics, whether or not the road course uh, takes away from the prestige of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I think you and I are both in the same camp, uh, but I I really don't think that the road course takes away from that prestige at all. If you you recall, I was kind of in the middle. I mean, but for the Xfinity Series, I think about, and I go back to when they raced uh, the first year's, they were racing at, at a short track there in Indianapolis, and I believe it is now back to IRP, Indianapolis Raceway Park. It might be O'Reilly, uh, ORP. I'm not real sure. Uh, that has changed a couple I of times. I think it's Lucas Oil I know, Raceway. Uh, you, you want to know what? There you go. You're right. I think it is now Lucas Oil Raceway. So mm-hmm. they came over a few years back and onto the track at Indianapolis, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Last year when they went to the road course, there again I thought it set them a little bit separate from the other the other series in the Cup Series. So I know without getting too deep into the hot topic itself or continuing on that, which we may later on, for the Cup Series I think it's a different story than the Xfinity because you mentioned they did do it last year already. And to me I think it separated them from the the Cup Series. So I thought it was good that they stuck with it. 
I'm a little bit differential on the on the cup side as far as it being the Brickyard 400 versus the road course. But mm-hmm. Indy in and of itself is still a win at Indy is a win at Indy, uh, even if it's on yeah, the absolutely. golf course you mentioned inside the golf course or inside the racetrack. Yeah, and as much as we heard some drivers kind of complain a little bit about it, those drivers love winning at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, even if it's the road course, and they want to be there. To- so that's still that tradition still uh, is there, and it still is very prestigious, I think, for the drivers when they win uh, to have that opportunity to kiss the bricks. So I thought it was great. Um, Let's go ahead and get into the driver point standings. Okay, real quick, I was going to compare it. If you think about it, I mean, any driver will tell you, yeah, they want to win at Daytona, whether it be the clash, uh, the the shootout, as it used to be, a twin 125 or the the midsummer race. I mean, a win at Daytona is still a win at Daytona. It may not be the 500, but it's still a win at Daytona. Mm-hmm. So Indy will always hold that prestige of it is a win at Indianapolis. Absolutely. Okay. All right, pulling up the uh, point standings. Go ahead, Sharon. No, go ahead. All right, uh, Austin Sindrick is still your points leader. He has built up an 82-point margin, not just in regular season points right now as we're getting closer for the Xfinity Series to determine their uh, regular season champion, but he's building up those playoff points. He currently has 33 playoff uh, points built up based off the five race wins and eight stage wins. Looking down the list, I think the next closest one is A.J. Allmendinger in the teens at 17. He's got two wins and seven stage wins, so he's got 17 playoff points. Third is Daniel Hemrick. Now, he's hanging in there as far as best driver and doesn't have a win. Third in points, but doesn't have a win. He does have five stage wins, which will give him five playoff points. And he's sitting third in points, which will give him a little bit of a boost as well when they recede. Justin Allgaier, two race wins, a stage win for 11 bonus points. Harrison Burton, another one, doesn't have the victory yet. Two stage wins for two playoff points. Uh, Justin Haley, another one in the same boat, no race win, but four stage wins for four four playoff points. Now, here's where the difference comes in. Jeb Burton, sitting seventh in points, has a race victory, which is worth five playoff points. So he's already gaining on the two above him when they recede. Noah Gregson has turned his season around big time. He's now up to eighth in points. We were talking about when he was outside the top 12. Mm -hmm. He is eighth in points pretty solidly. Doesn't have a race win, but two stage wins for two playoff points. Brandon Jones, no race wins, one stage win for one point. Now we get into 10th, 11th, and 12th. Uh, Jeremy Clements is at 519, Riley Herbst at 489, so there's a 30-point gap there. Uh, Then Michael Annette is in 12th at 479. All three of those, no race wins, no stage wins. The key here is 12th. Yep, okay. Okay, you got it. Okay, yeah, Myatt Snyder is 13th. He's the first one out at 478. Uh, but has a race he, win, which pushes him in. Yeah. So right now, Michael Annette is on the outside and a 30-point gap 
back uh, up to Riley Herbst. And we know he missed this weekend. Uh, unfortunate, but I think I know they said he came back. He came back at Watkins Glen, maybe a little too early, or maybe realized that road courses were a little bit rougher on his uh, on his leg than what he could handle, and so he had to opt to sit out of this one at Indy. Right, but Mike isn't actually out. He is in uh, the playoffs, but Michael Lynette is actually on the outside looking in right now. Yeah. So when he returns, uh, what do we got left? Uh, five races for the Xfinity Series. Um, Going to have his work cut out for him. We know the car is good. We saw what Chase Elliott did with it. We know what Josh Berry did with it uh, when he filled in. So it's going to be a battle for Michael and that, but Junior Motorsports, I think, is is capable of stepping up to that challenge. And I know Riley Herbst uh, put in the bank as much as he could while he, could, while he had that opportunity. Yeah, he had a great race finish on the Indianapolis road course, and he needs to really capitalize in these next races to keep himself on the top side of that cut line. Uh, But you're right, Michael Lynette is not necessarily going to make it easy on him to make that happen. And then then we get into the storyline of what if uh, driver Brandon Brown is in 14th, 437 points. That's a a lot of points to try to be gained even over five races. Brandon Brown, Ryan Sieg, Tommy Joe Martins, Alex LeBay, and Landon Castle, they're looking at that win. But if they pick up that win and stay within the top 20 in points, just like uh, Myatt Snyder, that would put them in even if they are outside. So those, those mm-hmm. four or five teams really going to be looking for the win. So Riley Herbst has to keep that in mind. He can't just focus on one driver. You know, and he he's looking up at Jeremy Clements to the 519, the 30-point gap there. He wants to close up to put himself one more spot up so that if somebody gets bumped out, it's not him. Exactly. <laughs> That's what's going to make this next race uh, kind of exciting to watch uh, at Michigan because, uh, again, they're marching toward their playoffs and trying to determine which of these drivers will be the 12 drivers to compete for the championship title uh, when their playoffs begin. Trying to look to see there down the list. Yeah, those are the only drivers at 21 stars. I take that back. Brett Moffitt at 23rd uh, is another one that has made all the starts, but I believe Xfinity Series is you have to be in the top 20 in points. Am I right, or is it 25th? Yeah, I believe it is. I think okay. it's 20. So Moffitt has to up it even more. I know the Truck Series was top 20, and the Cup Series is top 30, so I couldn't remember if Xfinity was in between the two or also at 20. Uh, Moffitt has made all 21 starts, though, so is eligible based off of that. And we'll have to do some research on that and make sure it is the top 20 because he is in 23rd. Yeah, we'll have that for you on Thursday night. Okay. Um, yeah, so, again, these all of these drivers are competitive. They all want to be in that top 12. So uh, I look for the competition to continue to heat up. Uh, also, it was announced today that Bubba Wallace is going to be competing in the Xfinity Series race at Michigan for Tory Racing Enterprises. He's actually filling in for Austin Hill, who was scheduled to run for Hattori 
but uh, because he's going to be in the first race of the playoffs at Gateway, they decided to take some of the pressure off of him uh, competing in this Xfinity Series race and let him focus on that first playoff race in the Truck Series. So Bubba Wallace is going to fill that seat instead. Uh, a great news story there. Uh, a lot of thought has to go into that. Uh, I know we've seen several drivers that do that bounce around from one to the other. But if you're going after that truck series championship, yeah, you really do need to have your focus 100% on that, especially we mentioned the first race out the gate at Gateway uh, Worldwide Technology uh, Raceway. So I think that probably was a smart decision. I'm sure Austin could have handled it if he had done the back and forth. We've seen other drivers do it in the past. But I think this gives them the best opportunity to really focus on the truck series and go after that championship. Yes, indeed. Another big story that came out today, Josh Berry is going to be running full-time for Junior Motorsports in 2022 in the number eight car. So usually that number eight car for Junior Motorsports is a part-time car uh, for two or three different drivers. Uh, So kind of cool to see that that's going to be a full-time car next year. Well, and I know we have this on the list of hot topics for tonight, so I'll leave it there. But just to tell everybody, I got two thumbs up. I know you can't see them, but I got two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's pretty pretty exciting as well. So uh, we hit on some, uh, some of the news stories there. Uh, and now we're going to move on to the Cup Series. Uh, the Cup Series uh, will be racing in Michigan this weekend. Uh, but we're going to be talking about what happened at the Indianapolis Road Course on Sunday, August the 15th. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger won a wild one at the Indianapolis Motorsports Speedway's Road Course. It was the first road course race at Indianapolis uh, Speedway for the Cup Series, and it was full of drama. A.J. Allmendinger, who led only the last two laps of overtime, secured his second NASCAR Cup Series victory this Sunday. And for those who fell short of the Terry's Trophy in the action-packed final few laps, Denny Hamlin was leading the race on the final restart with two laps to go before being hit from behind by the rookie Chase Briscoe in turn 10. Uh, Just before Briscoe was supposed to have served the penalty for running off the course earlier in the lap. Instead of winning... Hamlin finished 23rd, Briscoe finished 26th. They did have a conversation after the race, uh, and I think Hamlin uh, has an understanding of where Briscoe was coming from, but it doesn't take the sting away from losing a chance to win that race. A.J. Allmendinger won. Uh, He was in third place when that happened, and, of course, when both of them so out of first and second place, it put him up in the front uh, to go after that win. The win was his first this year and the second of his career. Blaney finished second, followed by Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Matt DiBenedetto, Kurt Busch, uh, Eric Jones, Justin Haley, Austin Cindric, and Ryan Newman round out the top ten. Um, driving for college racing, this was just the fourth, fourth race of the year for Almondinger in the Cup Series. 
and he and his team are not eligible for the playoffs. So the team has not run all the races this year, and he is running for points in the Xfinity Series. So uh, it doesn't really affect uh, Almondinger as far as the playoffs for the Cup Series. The poll winner uh, was William Byron. He finished 33rd after being caught up in a late race accident. The race ended after two overtime attempts. There were nearly there was a 20-minute red flag for track cleanup with four laps remaining. A piece of the curbing came up in turns five and six, causing a number of cars to catch it and spin out. I'm sure we'll talk about that during Hot Topics as well. Under the first overtime attempt, another accident in the same place collected seven drivers, uh, forcing another red flag for the cleanup. On the final restart, Hamlin started in front, with Briscoe just behind him. Briscoe was forced off the track. He caught up to Hamlin, Hamlin and then spun him out for the lead. Almond-Dinger took the lead coming to the white flag and held off Blaney for a margin of victory of nearly a second. Stage one and two were both won by Tyler Reddick. There were 13 lead changes among the 11 drivers and six cautions for 25 by the lap. The average speed of the race was 69.171 miles per hour. All right, it was the 28th annual Verizon 200 at the Brickyard, and it was Almondinger's second victory in 375 NASCAR Cup Series races. It was his first victory and third top 10 finish in this year. Uh, this is the first victory and first top 10 finish at the Indianapolis Road Course. Ryan Blaney in second posted his second his first top ten finish at the road course and it's his twelfth top ten finish this year. Kyle Larson third posted his first top ten finish at Indianapolis. Chase Bristol, who finished twenty sixth, was the highest finishing rookie. Almondinger again becomes the fourth different driver since the inception of the Selected Series to win uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series after not selecting to run for a championship in the series, joining Trevor Bain at Daytona in 2011, Brian Vickers, who won at New Hampshire in 2013, Justin Haley, who won at Daytona in 2019. So uh, some interesting uh, notes there with regard to the race in the Cup Series here at Indy's Road Course. Well, and with that, you say Indy Road Course, at least 10 different hot topics to talk about there. We'll have to see how many we get to here tonight. But just talk about the storyline of the race itself. Mentioned Albendinger's heartbreak from the Xfinity Series race to come back and get this victory on the cup side uh, wipes that away. I mean, it really does. I'm sure he's still in the back of his mind. Maybe maybe a little bit, but let me tell you, winning cures almost everything. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it certainly was redemption for A.J. Allmendinger, who came so, so close to winning at uh, in the Xfinity Series, uh, to be in the right place at the right time uh, when the incident between Hamlin and Briscoe took place. It certainly opened the door for A.J. Allmendinger, and he went right through it. Uh, on to victory lane. 
And I'm sure he was beating himself up even throughout that race because he did have a penalty uh, earlier in the race, but to still be in third position. And then, like you mentioned, able to capitalize on it. The other thing I look at there is Colleg Racing. They announced that they were going full-time next year with at least one full-time, part-time possibly, or maybe even full-time with the second team. And the other driver to that, the one they have said will be full-time, is Justin Haley. Driving for Spire Motorsports, mm-hmm. he came home in eighth place. So the drivers are both there. One of the cars uh, is a true college racing team. Uh, you might want to look out for them next year. Yes, indeed. I think these guys are going to be uh, the team to watch next season, uh, especially on the road courses. And I don't think we have the schedule out yet, but they had seven road courses on the schedule this year, I would anticipate it's probably going to be similar to that next season. And uh, these guys are going to be two to really watch on those, in those races. Third, or uh, sorry, second through, through fifth, uh, some regular storylines with, if you will. I know Ryan Blaney is one I looked at when you're talking about bacon fantasy picks. Uh, we've seen him win at the Charlotte Roval. So you did expect him. We see Penske trying to uh, capitalize here as we near the playoffs and build that momentum. Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, uh, they've been the story all year throughout, especially when it comes to road courses. Now, Kyle Larson did finish in front of Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott, another one, though, that uh, what was the issue? I I believe they dropped the jack uh, during one of his pit stops. So uh, maybe could have had a little bit better, better position there. Um, but fifth place, Matt DiBenedetto, still trying to work his way into the po- into the playoffs. We'll talk about that when we cover the points here in just a minute, but also now driving for a ride for next year. Uh, really got to have that spotlight on him the rest of the year. I know you mentioned this, Sharon, picking up a win uh, would be absolutely huge uh, when it comes to both of those, getting him into the playoffs, obviously, but also for looking for next year. Um, or at least it, hopefully maybe some more top fives will be enough, even if it's not a victory, to get him a cup ride. And they're getting uh, slimmer, though. The spots are, are lessening, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yes, indeed. Uh, a win would be huge for Matt Benedetto if he was able to do that in these next couple of races. Uh, but it's it's uh, he's also said that he's open uh, to racing outside of the Cup Series. So uh, let's hope that uh, these good finishes continue for Matthew Benedetto, and uh, we wish him the best as he tries to put together his 2022 season. Uh, most certainly. Uh, you know, the, and the top five finishes will do that. I know that, that zero in the win column uh, still still hangs there, but top five finishes carry a lot of weight too. Now, when we look at 6th through 10th, Kurt Busch, uh, we know, is a good road course racer. A lot of talk about him. Nothing confirmed yet. We'll have to wait and see on that. Eric Jones, another one. Good finish for Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, started 28th, finished 7th. Another one, talking about contract for next year, where he's at. Mentioned Justin Haley and then Austin Sindrick uh, in ninth and 10th place, Ryan Newman. Haley, we know, has got the full-time ride with Colleg Racing next year. Austin Sindrick getting his feet wet. I believe this was his final cup start of the year, I, I think. Um, 
I think it was on Race Hub they talked about that. All the talk about Chase Elliott being the favorite at road courses. We've seen Kyle Larson go toe-to-toe with him. Next year, they're going to have to contend with Austin Sindrick. Uh, he's been there in mm-hmm. these few cup starts that he's made at these road courses. He's going to be full-time as a rookie next year. When it comes to these road courses, you've got to put another name up there as one of the favorites. So uh, it might not be one driver. It might be from a handful of four or five. As well as others, you mentioned it, Sharon, there being seven. Kevin Harvick ran the Xfinity Series, get more experience. These guys know that with these on the schedule, they have got to get better at it, and we're going to see the teams and drivers do so. So throw that into the Mm -hmm. mix of next year. It may not be there's one or two favorites. It's going to be ten favorites. And that is true. That is true when when you really look at it. Uh, Let's go ahead and hit the uh, driver's points here. All right. As we slide over to the point standings, there was a change here. A couple of storylines here at the top. Kyle Mm -hmm. Larson is now your points leader uh, with that situation Sharon talked about with Denny Hamlin. He's up by 22 points, has the five victories, 12 stage wins for a total of 37 playoff points. And I believe we're headed in a direction where he's going to set the record to start the playoffs with the most playoff points. Storyline here, Denny Hamlin does not have a victory. Ever so close, uh, and I'm sure that added to his frustration, but doesn't have a victory yet, even though he was the points leader, now second. Five stage wins gives him five playoff points. However, with A.J. Allmendinger as a non-eligible driver winning that race, Denny Hamlin has locked himself into the playoffs for sure. He's guaranteed to get a, a spot even if he doesn't win the regular season championship. Uh, That's very important. We had talked about that for a couple of weeks. If he lost that regular season championship, he could actually be pushed out if he doesn't carry a victory. That's changed. He is locked in. Uh, Third, Kyle Busch, two wins, four stage wins. He's got 14 playoff points. William Byron, one win with three stages, eight Chase Elliott's got the two victories and one stage win for 11. Joey Logano, make sure I'm reading the right line here. Joey Logano's got one race win, four stage wins for nine playoff points. Truex, I mentioned this the first year they did these playoff points. He's in seventh in points, but he's got three victories and five stage wins. Going to give him 20 playoff points. So he jumps up to... Uh, second as far as that, as far as playoff points that, that have been built up. And we go to Ryan Blaney mentioned. He does have the victory. Four stage uh, wins for nine playoff points. Here's another one we got to highlight. Kevin Harvick is currently in ninth. Doesn't have any wins and doesn't have any playoff points, uh, any stage wins. So no playoff points at this point. He is still possibly at risk, even in ninth place in points. Brad, Brad Keselowski has a victory, two stage wins for seven playoff points. Tyler Reddick in 11th. I'll come back to him, but right now he's in 11th, three stage wins, three playoff points. Top 16 are locked in, but Tyler Reddick is the one to watch, and I'll come back to that. 12th is Bowman, three wins straight up, 15 playoff points. Austin Dillon is 13th. He's part of that storyline, along with, along with his teammate, uh, Tyler Reddick, at Richard Childress Racing. Uh, 13th in points at 638. No wins, no play, uh, stage wins, no playoff points. Kurt Busch, 14th, has a victory. 
three stages, eight playoff points. Christopher Bell has a victory, five stage or five playoff points. Sixteenth, which would be the number of cut, but Matt DiBenedetto, no wins, one stage win for one playoff point. Look behind him, it's Chris Busher. Actually, I'm going to, right there, I'm going to move down a lot. Being the cut line is 16th. Michael McDowell is 19th, has a victory in five playoff points. He's in. That pushes Matt DiBenedetto out from 16th. Go down to 23rd. Eric Almarola has a victory, five playoff points. He is in. Now 14th would be out. Or I'm sorry, 15th would be out, but that's Bell. He's got a victory. 14th, Kurt Busch, he's in on a victory. 13th place, Austin Dillon, is the one that's out. So that's why I say we got to got to pay attention to this, and I'll climb back up here to the actual points. Austin Dillon at 638, 13th right now is being pushed out because of two below the cut line that have victories. Up to his teammate of Tyler Reddick, I believe it was 28 points if I saw that correctly today. 638 to 666. So, yeah, 28 points uh, behind his teammate. From there, if we get another uh, first-time winner from below the 16th spot, that would mean Tyler Reddick is out, and ninth place, Kevin Harvick, is the one that's on the line at 733 points. So that's where I said even Harvick at this point is possibly still at risk. Yes. It's amazing, isn't it, Jay? Uh, I don't think it's been uh, this situation uh, for the playoffs in the Cup Series for quite a while. But uh, every position counts in these next few races, and these guys uh, are really going to be trying to go after a victory, especially those drivers that are below the cut line. And their only way of getting into the playoffs this year is if they get a win. And you're pretty much to that point, with the exception of Tyler Reddick, Assuming we get no more first-time winners from below the cut line, it is a points battle between Tyler Reddick and Austin Dillon. Harvick may come into play there, but he's got 70-some point cushion there over Tyler Reddick. Uh, So Tyler Reddick and Austin Dillon really is the only true, I think at this point, points battle in and of itself. Uh, Starting with 17th, you got Chris Buescher, Ross Jastain, skipping over Michael McDowell, Ricky Stenhouse, Bubba Wallace, those guys I don't think would possibly be able to do it on points but could pick up the victory. 22nd is Chase Briscoe, and that's where I said this really could have taken a twist had the road course there in Indianapolis not played out the way it did. Chase Briscoe could have been that one to put Kevin Harvick at risk. He was within reach of it, um, and that would have changed it, and that would have put Kevin Harvick as the next one on the bubble to possibly be pushed out. Yes, Tyler Reddick would have been pushed out, and uh, it would have made uh, Kevin Harvick vulnerable. And the thing that's amazing about that is uh, Denny Hamlin becomes the next vulnerable driver if another new winner comes in. Now, as it turns out, Chase Briscoe didn't win that race, so Tyler Reddick is still in, but that's how close they came uh, to that not happening. Well, and I say they did announce it on Race Hub that mathematically uh, with the races we have left, I believe four for the Cup Series, that Denny Hamlin is now secure as far as that, even if he doesn't win the regular season championship. 
Yeah, you're right. He, um, is, so that he is, has clinched his spot. Uh, I'm sorry, we have two races left for the Cup Series for 20. Yeah, 26, because it would be, yeah, Tyler Reddick and Kevin Harvick, the next two. Thing mm-hmm. You said some of the amazing things we're looking at there, just the fact that they're in that position, but Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick winless this year. Between the two of them, they almost won half of the races last year. <laughs> it's it's just phenomenal that it's uh, played out this way uh, this season. And keep in mind, these next two races are Michigan, which is coming up this weekend, and then the Daytona race. And that is a wild card where anyone can win. And it is possible that somebody uh, below that cut line could come up with a victory at Daytona. It's still possible at uh, Michigan, but I think less likely. Well, the, what one thing that I think really, not that Daytona and that being the season, uh, regular season cutoff race, the wild card that it is we've talked about, if we were to get that new race winner uh, from below the cut line, and I'll just pick Daniel Suarez because that's the one line I happen to be on. If he wins at Michigan, going into Daytona, Harvick is the one on the bubble. And we know at Daytona mm-hmm. it could be Ricky Stenhouse, Bubba Wallace, uh, Eric Jones, Ryan Newman. Michael McDowell. Harvick could really be out. Yeah, but Michael McDowell's already got a win, so that wouldn't hurt Harvick. Oh, you're right. That wouldn't hurt him. I was so I Ross was just Chastain looking at the one. Become... Yeah, Ross you're right. Chastain, most definitely. Uh, like I said, if if we get a new first time winner at Michigan, Harvick has got to have some pressure on him, uh, uh, knowing it. Uh, so that makes it much more interesting. I'm not necessarily rooting for it, but just to add that one more level of intensity going into uh, into that final race at Daytona. <laughs> Yeah, that certainly would add some more drama for sure. Uh, So these are do-not-miss races that are coming up here in the Cup Series. And uh, I know everybody's going to be tuning in this weekend at Michigan. But definitely do not miss those races at Daytona. Uh, Those are going to be exciting races. And that is the last race of the regular season. So, uh, again, do not miss events. I don't even know how you can say you can add to a don't miss race in Daytona, but this one really has. You've added three or four more <laughs> reasons to not miss it. Exactly. Well, I think the race in Michigan is a do not miss event too. And you and I, again, are going to be talking about those races this Thursday uh, during our preview show. So uh, I can't wait to be, uh, you know, updating everybody on what to watch for at Michigan International Speedway uh, when these guys uh, race this weekend. It certainly is, and I'm just thinking already, uh, my mind's already there. I'm thinking about, like, fantasy picks, some of the ones we've seen in the past, (laughs) but some of the ones we also know have the speed uh, if they're in the right position. And I think Ricky Stenhouse, Matt DiBenedetto, and Bubba Wallace, just uh, those three that we're talking about need wins. Of If they were to come up with one at Michigan, how huge that would be. It would be monumental. Okay, we are at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, and that means it's time for us to get into our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, joining us here shortly 
Uh, Jay and I are going to be a part of that conversation. But also joining us tonight, I believe, is going to be Tommy Kraft. So uh, we'll watch. There he is now. I'll bring him into the queue. And we'll go ahead and get started with our hot topic sound off for tonight. First of all, welcome to the show, Tommy. We're glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Um, glad to be back. How are y'all? Doing very, very well. Uh, Jay and I are getting so excited about these next two races for the Cup Series, uh, and I can't wait to see how these races play out at Michigan and Daytona uh, now with uh, the NASCAR Cup Series. But uh, let's go ahead and get into our hot topics here tonight, uh, and we'll let you kind of be the uh, one to bring up our first hot topic. Okay, uh, let's go with the twenty. Well, let's let's go with the Indianapolis race. Um, and what I guess what Mike was kind of saying was a curb debacle and everything. Okay, yeah, there was quite a few issues there. Um, and NASCAR did kind of give a response. I don't know if you've seen that yet or not, Jay, but uh, what are your thoughts about the curb debacle? Jay, are you on uh, mute? I'm sorry I was there. Uh I thank, I thank Tommy for clarifying that. Just saying the Indianapolis road course, I said there is 10 or more hot topics just by saying that. The the <laughs> tire, or the uh, not tire issue, but curbing debacle, as I think Mike put it, uh, certainly was a storyline. What confused me is we had the first situation during the Xfinity series uh, with Harrison Burton, Kevin Harvick, and a bunch of others. Um, they had run this course, the road course before, with the Xfinity Series. So I'm not sure why the issue even came into play, especially that we've seen the similar turtles, uh, as they call them, uh, at the Charlotte Roval. And I know that I didn't get to catch all of it, of what the difference between the two of them was, why there were bigger ones or the different material or something that caused this situation. I know what it was. They had... Okay, well, please, why don't you fill in what you have there then before I continue? Yeah, uh, it's, um, kind of that Miller, not Miller, what's his name? <laughs> the director of competition, I can't think of his name right now. But he was saying yeah, Scott that Miller? last year, uh, Scott, Scott, yeah, uh, he was saying that after last year's race at Indianapolis, uh, there were requests by the drivers. They said that uh, it was too fast going into those corners, and they needed something to slow them down, and that's why they put the curbing in there to begin with. So that was not there last year, but was placed there after the request from the drivers to them to slow them down. Okay, I did hear part of his interview. I guess I, I must have missed that part. Uh, I was listening to it on the way home uh this weekend. Um, so yeah, I must've missed that of, of that's why it was there to begin with. And I'll, and I'll cap off with that when I get to the end, but to see that to me though, the drivers, I'm sorry, there's so much in my head, even on this one topic, the drivers and the fact that you said they asked for it, uh, is kind of funny. They know it's there. They have the talent to drive their car. Then don't hit them. 
and, and that's what I'll end with there. Of AJ Allmendinger, when asked about it, said, "I don't know. I don't know what the issue was because I wasn't on top of them." You know, so one of the best drivers in a second place and a first place in the two races is telling you, just don't hit them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, here, here's what he said to be more exact. As we worked through putting the track together for the Xfinity Series for last year's race, there was a big ask from the drivers to have something back there because that section was just way too fast. There was that grass, and then going into turn seven, they would have maybe been running 15 to 20 miles per hour faster. We weren't going to sign up for that. That other one had to stay. That was the only way we were going to get back to racing on Sunday. So, um, and that, as Miller indicated, that there was also some debate among NASCAR officials whether to remove the larger sausage curbing that laid adjacent to the damaged curbing, but that was not an option. Uh, he went on to say the curbing that uh, delaminated is the same style of curbing that we've had since we redid the road course in 2014. So those curbs have been placed, repaired, so we've not really ever had an issue with those curbs at all. And that's from the track president, uh, Doug Bowles. He said, we looked at that curb between every session, and we looked at it at night and in the morning, and there was no indication today that there was really anything wrong with that curbing. So it was a little bit of a surprise for us when the race had started uh, that we started having issues with it. So just just uh, some further clarification from their point of view there. Um, but, yeah, obviously, uh, the, I think those guys were just going way too fast uh, into those corners. And I think that uh, some of the announcers said uh, that they really couldn't even see the curbing. So because of the cars that were in front of them and – they were caught, the drivers were caught by surprise by seeing that curving. So I think that that's at least the one that's at the beginning of the race. So I'm not, I didn't really get to see the race. Uh, I'm just going by what I, I did see that very beginning of the Xfinity Series race, uh, but I did not see any of the Cup Series race. So uh, that's the only thing that I guess I could really comment on there. So, Tommy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I also missed a lot of the race. I only caught the end of it. Um, downloaded the NBC Sport app right quick and selected my Wi-Fi, which is Spectrum, and I was able to catch literally the last lap. <clears throat> I did see the whole 30 minutes of just wrecking still after they removed the curb caused I believe it was Michael McDowell that hit it and flew, and he caused the wreck, and then they had to re- restart one more time. And that was when Chase spun Denny, and then Chase got parked for wrecking Denny while having to serve the penalty, which he didn't serve or something, and then AJ won. <laughs> so it was, it was crazy. Just one lap was a, a whole lot to take in all at once. And even before that, because when I was seeing the highlights on Twitter, trying to catch it that way, and I saw all the replays with Junior commentating of when Joey wrecked and William Byron and all them, when the 
when the um, curb broke or whatever it was. Yeah, it was – I don't know what happened. And then, like Jay was saying, in the Xfinity Series, last year they raced there and there was no issue. And they had problems when they were flying over some curb. And then they even removed that curb before the cup race. But I did see where what Sharon is talking about, how the drivers did want that curb there because of high speeds. But um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of on Austin Dillon's side. They interviewed him because he wrecked there at the end with Michael McDowell. And he was like, so can we turn it back to an oval yet? <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I think they should listen to him. Yeah, I think the issue is really that they couldn't see him. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? And follow up. Well, that's where we kind of borderline almost a new hot topic uh, of going back to the oval, whether or not the Cup Series should should return to the oval itself or wherever, however you want to call it. Uh, I think the Xfinity Series did a great job if there was a change there from what they said last year. But not every driver hit it, so there again, I, I go back to A.J. Albinger. He said if, it, if it's there and it's going to cause damage or whatever, and it's not the fastest way around, he said he scrubs it, never putting his tire over the top of it. Learn from the best. Uh, you know, follow, follow in line. Don't mm-hmm. use up that much of it. So I think it can be worked out. Uh, and for the Xfinity Series, I do like it. Cup Series, maybe they do go back to the Oval. And like I said, I'm kind of in the middle there of the prestige of the actual track of the Brickyard course. I think they can work on a package that fits that two-mile flat track rather than going to the road course. But a lot of different things went into it. And I know Roger Penske is a, is a smart man. They had the Indy, the whole IndyCar and NASCAR weekend there. Everything set up that way. Uh, was productive, so... I know you're going to have – you're never going to make everybody happy. So, uh, you know, it's a 50-50 or whatever type deal of you're going to make some happy and some not. But uh, they will improve, just like any other. This was new for the Cup Series. Obviously, some changes need to be made. And you, you heard immediately Scott, Scott Miller talking about it. We're looking at it. Some of the rules packages, which I will bring into it in another hot topic, um, reference uh, the Chase Briscoe penalty. You know, some things need to be evaluated, looked at, and changed, learned from it. So if they go to the road course again with it next year, I'm not going to be opposed to it because I know, A, the, tra- the track and NASCAR is going to make some changes. B, the drivers are going to make some changes and be like, hey, we can't do what we did last year. We need to change. We need to be better drivers. We need to watch A.J. Elmendinger. Yes. Yes, and that, that's a very good point because uh... – uh, this is a different track, and they're used to going wide on some of those turns, uh, but this is going to be a track where they're not going to be able to do that. And so if they learn from that experience and avoid doing that in the future, then that curving is not going to be an issue. Uh, I think some people were just caught off guard with it. They couldn't see it, and uh, they were used to going wide. And uh, that's that's what the problem was. But you're right. AJ Allmendinger has it uh, has it right. If if you know that it's there, uh, you just don't go there, uh, and and that avoids the problem. And so you're right. They're going to learn from this, uh, and so that they don't make those same mistakes. Um, I'm kind of split on whether or not they need to go back to the oval. Uh, I know a lot of drivers want to go back to the oval. 
I thought the, the road course, uh, I, I didn't actually see the race, so I'm just speaking from my own uh, perspective on this. But I do think that the road course can have as much prestige as the oval if given an opportunity. Uh, so it's just a mindset thing. Uh, and uh, I think that if you have a win at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it doesn't really matter if it's on the road course or the oval. Those guys love the idea of winning at Indianapolis and having the opportunity to get the bricks with their team. So uh, to me, it doesn't uh, take away from that prestige at all. But I, I agree that they are going to learn from this year. Those issues won't be as big of a deal. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? I didn't think um, – I've watched the road course this year for the Xfinity Series, and I feel like I watched some of it last year. And, um, of course, I did watch the final two or three restarts of the Cup Series. And, I mean – I mean, the ending was kind of exciting because AJ went from, like, third to being first and winning. And, I mean, that kind of shakes things up a little bit because he took a win away from a playoff contender. So I didn't, I don't think the Indianapolis road course is bad. Um, but I am kind of like the drivers a little bit. I don't I don't know if it's the same as the Brickyard or the Oval. Um but I think they could work it out somehow. Maybe do the Xfinity does the road course, or maybe Cup does it. Xfinity does the oval. I don't know, but I I would like to see the ovals still. But the Indianapolis road course isn't bad, so I wouldn't be uh, against it if they decided to continue doing it in the future. But I'll miss the oval. Okay, um, maybe they can alternate it. Jay, you want to come up with the next hot topic? Well, we've been talking about it, uh, some of the disaster that happened at the end there, talking about Chase Briscoe receiving a penalty, not getting word on it, going for the win, and wrecks the leader, Denny Hamlin, and then has to serve a penalty. Okay, Tommy, you get the first word here. Yeah, um it was, like I said, that last lap was so much because he said he was forced, so he went through the grass, and then he, I kind of saw on Twitter, because, of course, Denny Hamlin went up to him at Pit Road after the race, um, and they talked, and uh, it didn't, didn't, it didn't get rowdy, but, I mean, if everyone, if anyone saw the race, it didn't like Chase Briscoe spun him out, um, of course, that was just – Denny said it. He didn't even think it was intentional. He said it was just hard racing. But, um, I mean, anyway, just looking at it on television, like I said, it didn't look like he spun him out. But, anyway, on pit road, they talked, and Chase Briscoe said he didn't know that he had been told to serve a penalty when he was racing Denny Hamlin. So, he said he was going for the win. And Denny Hamlin just said it was, you know, just the – He's a, a good guy. He just made a bad mistake, basically. And um, I, I really don't know. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't know that going into whatever turn he was going into that he had been penalized. I'm I'm sure he probably didn't know because I don't. He's never caused an issue before. 
I mean, he would have been racing hard for his hometown or or home state or wherever he's from. I know it's, it's kind of local to that. So, I don't know, but uh, it, was, it was just crazy. And now Denny Hamlin clinched a spot still, I think. So, AJ's win actually helped Denny Hamlin. And I didn't realize that Chase Briscoe had to serve a penalty, though. I just realized that. I just thought it was during the race, or, or you're saying there's a penalty being announced afterwards. Yeah. Um, just I, I've had a chance to talk to Chase Briscoe quite a bit when he was in the ARCA series. Uh, I've also talked to him, you know, in the while he was racing in the Xfinity series. And he is from Mitchell, Indiana, so this was a big race for him. He would have loved to have come home with the victory uh, at Indianapolis. Um, but here's the thing. When he, when he was forced off the track he, and into the grass, he actually passed Denny Hamlin. And you can't go off the track like that and make a pass. And that's why he was being penalized. However, he says he didn't know that he was being penalized after he got back onto the track. He was racing for the victory. He took the lead, and in his mind, he was trying to uh, keep that lead. And, again, it wasn't intentional, but getting back on the track, he did clip Denny Hamlin and caused him to spin, and he, both of them ended up finishing back in the pack. So the penalty was for him going off into the grass, um, not because of him hitting Denny Hamlin. Uh, but he told Denny Hamlin, and Denny Hamlin did agree with him. Um, uh, he's not sure. None of us are quite sure why he didn't have the word about the penalty. Uh, but all of those things happened so quickly, I can kind of understand it to a degree. But... Um, uh, he says he didn't have word that he was being penalized for going off into the grass. So he was going after that victory. And I don't know if he didn't get the word because he was so focused in going after that victory, but that's what he felt he was paid to do is to go after that victory, and that's what he was trying to do. Uh, and he accidentally clipped uh, Denny Hamlin in the process of trying to go after that victory. So I know that would have been huge for Chase Briscoe to win at Indianapolis, his home state, and to win at that track. Uh, he had that chance to do it, and unfortunately, with the way how, how everything kind of played out, uh, it didn't really work out for him this time around. Uh, but uh, I don't think that he did it intentionally. Denny Hamlin, like you guys mentioned, uh, he agrees with that. It wasn't something that was intentional. He, it was bad judgment. And and just some, I think it's just one of those racing things because things do happen so quickly. Um, you know, he, he's trying to do everything he can to win that race. Uh, it's just unfortunate that it played out the way that it did. So, um Jay, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. There's so there again, it's so many things in, in just this one, I don't say little topic, but start with the penalty. And I don't know how NASCAR words it, whether or not he was forced off the track. And I've watched that replay a couple of times. It was right. Well, okay. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. 
when they got to the corner and they bumped and he went into the grass, was he forced there or not, forced off the track? And I relate this to the yellow line at Talladega and Daytona. If you're forced mm-hmm. below the line, it's okay versus driving down there. To me, it looked like he opted to go in there on his own. I'm not saying there wasn't any bumping, but I don't think he was truly forced. That was the option he took. And we saw Brad Keselowski win his victory. He stayed above the line, ran over the dude in front of him, Carl Edwards, put him in the air. But that was what he said he was told to do. Go back to that, though. Then it's the advance the position. When he comes out of the grass and gets back on the track, whether it was momentum lost or not, he actually, the position was given back. Denny Hamlin was back in front of him. So the position was given back, which is why I don't understand the penalty, uh, truthfully, because he got back in line behind where he was when he went off the track. Then you get into the discussion of when was he told that there was a penalty and the delay of it. And from what I can piece together, yeah, they told the team and the spotter the spotters making that or the crew chief, one of the two is making that argument of, Hey, we were forced down there and we gave the spot back. So why are we being penalized? Thus the driver did not know at that point. And again, he is racing Mm -hmm. for the win intentionally spin Denny Hamlin out. No, give him a nudge trying to get that position. Yes. (laughs) So there are so many things there and to me, I, and I don't know, like I said, if the rule is the same as it is at the yellow line of Talladega, I feel like maybe Chase opted to. He could have checked up and stayed in line and on the track. He could have stayed in the gas and drove through Denny Hamlin and stayed on the track. He opted to drive off of the track. Because like I said, I don't think there was ever a hit there that really pushed him off the track. That's my opinion on it. Um But with the giving the position back, I'm not sure there should have been the penalty, and I'm sure their team was arguing that before they served that penalty and even passed that word to their driver. Okay, so that gives some clarification. Uh, Tommy, follow-up? It was just a crazy finish. Um, Like I said, that one last lap was just a lot all at once. And, um, yeah, I'm just glad to see how they handled it after the race. I mean, I don't know. Every now – like, Daniel Hemrick and Noah Gregson's entertaining, too. So, but uh, <laughs> um, they handled it well. And Chase Briscoe was just racing hard. And Denny just was on the bad end of that deal. Um, yeah, like I said, it was just – a wild crazy finish they'll probably definitely go back and it'll be the same next year um but (laughs) maybe they'll get rid of the curb like so many cars went airborne in the xfinity and in the cup series like michael mcdowell Corey lejoy harrison burton brandon shaw i mean the list is just ridiculous and the highlights were crazy too on twitter just seeing the cars going flying over that curb yeah, yeah. you got to feel for both Chase Briscoe and uh, Denny Hamlin. And thank you for that clarification, Jay, because I uh, did not see it, obviously. So I was just going off of what I was reading, uh, and uh, you cl- clarified some things there for me. I was not aware that he gave the position back. So, yeah, if that's the case, 
then, yeah, I don't understand what the penalty is there uh, because I thought it was because he passed him that he was being given the penalty. So that doesn't make sense to me now. But um, uh, you got to feel for both of those drivers. Uh, Denny Hamlin had a chance to win that race, as did Chase Briscoe, and neither one of them winning that race as a result. So uh, it's just kind of an interesting situation there. Uh, but kudos to A.J. Allmendinger for being in the right place at the right time when that door opened. Like I say, he knocked it down uh, with a victory and in, 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 uh, celebration in victory lane. So um, NASCAR, I'm sure, is reviewing it as well. Like you say, J2, I think you're right. I think that those guys were probably arguing, and that's why the communication did not get to uh, Chase Briscoe. But i got to give Denny Hamlin a lot of kudos as well because he listened to what Chase Briscoe was telling him, and he said himself, I can relate to what he was saying because we've all been there and had these types of situations happen. And I give Denny Hamlin a lot of kudos for having that empathy uh, for Chase Briscoe in this situation and and listening to understand because that doesn't always happen, especially with the emotion of this sport. Uh, but we did see Denny Hamlin do that. And I've been critical of Denny Hamlin in the past for not having emotional maturity, but I think that in this case he showed a great deal of emotional um, uh emotional intelligence, if you will, by listening to understand. And uh, I do want to give him kudos for that. So you get the last word, Jay. Yeah, and and that's kind of how I was in the same boat, Sharon. I hadn't seen the race yet, uh, coming home, driving home from the dirt track. I actually uh, saw a couple of video clips on uh, YouTube and Facebook. Didn't have the full understanding, but when I talked to my mom, uh, she had explained some of it, and then more of it made sense. But one of the ones I did see was that discussion between Chase Briscoe and Denny Hamlin. And you're right. Uh, even my mom said that, that Denny Han- Hamlin handled himself so well, did say he even understood Briscoe's position. Um, so mm-hmm. obviously still disappointed. We mentioned he doesn't have a win, whether or not he was locked into the playoffs, going to lose the regular season championship. But he did handle it very well. So you're right. Props to both of them um, in in how they handled themselves afterwards uh, with it. I'm sure, you know, Chase Briscoe is still obviously frustrated because he doesn't understand the penalty itself. If he feels he was forced off, uh, you know, he gave the position back or he felt like he did, um, so shouldn't have been penalized. So I'm sure there's still a lot of uh, frustrated, frustration and built-up feelings, but you got to move on. And I think both of them agreed. Uh, you know, like I said, the bump and run is you want to move them a little bit and get by them. It wasn't an outright, I'm going to run over you. Uh, neither one of them said, hey, it wasn't a retaliation factor. It was, I'm going for the race mm-hmm. win. You know, and yeah, if if the position were reversed, I'd expect to bump. Hamlin said, yeah, I'd have probably bumped you, you know. So there is that understanding mm-hmm. of that position as well. And it's at Indy, you know. Absolutely. Okay, Tommy, we're ready to move on to the next topic. What do you got? Let's go with um, 23XI and FRM merger that was uh, rumored. 
Ah, okay, yeah, they're trying to get that second charter, uh, maybe from Front Row Motorsports, Jay. What are your thoughts there? You know, that that, that team is going to want a charter, although reading all of this, it's interesting to see that they said that they may even do the second team without a charter, and I think they got the team and speed capability to do it. We've seen JTG do it this year uh, with maybe not even the the best of equipment, so it can be done. But going back to that, uh, Front Row Motorsports has to make a decision, and it kind of ties into another topic I had put up of rides available and where they're gonna drivers are going to fall as well as these seats that are available. And that is one option, uh, talking about Anthony Alfredo. I don't know what money he brings to the team. Um, I know that was a spot where they said possibly Ryan Newman going, and I think that would be a good fit. But if they can sell that charter and maybe focus on one team or them be the team to try and run a second team without the charter like JTG did, primary one of Michael McDowell being full-time, that one attempting to go full-time if they have the sponsorship, um, a lot of different options. And it doesn't surprise me, though, like I said, 2311, the team they have, the money they have that they can use to buy a second charter uh, from somebody, not surprising. It will be interesting to see the fact that rumor is, none of this is confirmed, but rumor is it's Kurt Busch with some sponsorship from Monster, whether Monster would be willing to ride it with him even if they don't have the uh, charter and the locked-in guarantee. Um, and that might be that determining factor where the money's coming from to attempt to buy the charter. So a lot of things still interesting, but no finalized questions. I, I can't say what I think is best. Um, I, I hate to say that I do think they need to bring a different driver into that team. I think Anthony Alfredo was moved up too fast. The seat was available, whether he brought money or not, they filled it. But I, I think he needs some more experience and at, at a different level maybe before he's ready for cup. And I think they could bring in a second driver. Specifically, I go with Newman a veteran driver a year or two, build that team, and then maybe bring Alfredo back in as he's got more experience and the team is in a better position under a, a veteran driver like Ryan Newman, I think would be beneficial. But also, depending on dollars and cents, it might be beneficial for him to sell it outright to the 2311, and maybe it's on a part-time deal or a two-year deal or something that they get it back when they're ready. Who knows? You know, All kinds of different things could be worked into a contract. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one, especially considering what happened to Trackhouse Racing with them just flat out buying out Chip Ganassi Racing, which who would have ever even dreamed that that could have happened. Uh, when I first saw this, that's what I kind of thought maybe in the works here is uh, for 23XI, uh, 2311 Racing to buy Front Row Motorsports in order to get that second charter. And you're right about Anthony Alfredo. I think that they moved him up too quickly. And uh, I would like to see him go back to the Xfinity Series, get a little more experience under his belt, and then bring him back into the fold here in the Cup Series. Um, but I could see them uh, going with a two-car uh, team uh, between Kurt Busch and uh, Daniel Suarez uh, but then where does that put uh, Michael McSow? So I, 
I I don't know that they're going to flat out buy Front Row Motorsports like they did Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, but uh, I think it is going to be interesting to see how this works out. Now, uh, they have said uh, 2311 is willing to run the full season without a charter as long as they have the sponsorship available. And Kurt Busch certainly brings that sponsorship to the table with Monster Energy. So if they don't get that charter, uh, I think it's still possible for Kurt Busch uh, to be that second car at 2311 uh, because he does bring sponsorship to the table. Uh, So uh, when Denny Hamlin was asked about it, he said, uh, we're still working through it. It's a week to week, uh, to be honest. So I think this is a very fluid situation. I think there's a lot of things that can happen and that a lot of things will change in the process uh, of the conversation, if you will. So it, it is going to be interesting to see what it ends up being uh, when they are ready to make that announcement. Tommy, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, I was kind of curious to see or learn why Front Row wants to sell their car to 23XI. Um, cause I mean, like Jay was saying, I did see that Beyond the Flag article where they were linking Ryan Newman to it as an option, or um, JTG Jaltry also because of uh, Ryan Priest's status, which is up in the air. And I, I, I think Ricky Stenhouse mm-hmm. is also a free agent. Um, so Numi could go there, too. Um, I'm also thinking about this, which I know Kurt Busch is linked to 23XI, so if they do buy the charter from front row, and they they obviously would turn that car into a Toyota, um, then front row becomes the one-car team with Michael McDowell, or would they try to do a second car? Um, as well for somebody like Ron Newman or does Alfredo come back? But um, I was thinking of John Hunter Nemechek because he was part of Front Row Motorsports last year. I know that he left them to go to the Truck Series with Toyota and Kyle Busch Motorsports to, and to win championships and uh, or maybe just win a championship this year. But he, he wanted to go back to win, and he's done just that. So now... Does he go to the Xfinity Series with Toyota to, like, Joe Gibbs or something? Or does he go to 23XI? Or do they do – does Front Road Motorsports become Toyota? And then does John Hunter go there? I mean, there's just so many options. Like y'all were saying, Newman's an option. Alfredo could come back. They could sell it to 23XI, and they could – Kurt Busch could be that car. Matty D still an option. I mean, the, it's just craziness. <laughs> silly season. <laughs> the silliest. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see, and there's a couple others that tie into it. Um, I know Eric Jones is saying he wants to return and is is close to getting a deal finalized with Richard Petty Motorsports. That's another spot where I thought Newman might end up if they were to let Eric Jones go. So Newman, I think, is a key factor in all this. And then you mentioned uh, Kurt Busch. And I think the fact that if Monster is behind him could be a huge factor, especially when it comes to the 2311, which so many things have linked him to it. It's not official yet. Kurt Busch has said, hey, I, I got something 
almost locked down or whatever, but I can't talk about it as Brad Keselowski did. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see to get the official, but I think we can start penciling a couple things in a little bit harder, uh, if not writing them in ink. Uh, but there's still a lot of unknowns and a lot of changes, you know, and Matt Benedetto, we haven't heard anything on him. So could be real interesting. Um, just popped into my head when we talk about college racing, if they don't go full time with that second team of Matt Benedetto or Ryan Newman being the one to run other than the road courses where they obviously plan on putting AJ Allmendinger. Uh, so that's an interesting scenario of that team if they're not full-time with the second car of who the other driver is or multiple drivers throughout the year to keep the team out there in all races but not one driver uh, and get that opportunity to showcase their talent and maybe work their way in for 2023. And, um, and then you tie into then who could go back to the Xfinity Series or Tommy mentioned John Hunter Nemechek. I still think he is a player. Uh, moving into a seat in the Xfinity Series or the Cup. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, I think he's proven his talent and worth there in the Truck Series going after the championship for KBM. I see him back in either full-time Xfinity Series or Cup Series going after a championship in one of the other two. Okay. And let's not forget, I, I remember another uh, rumor that was out there Um is the possibility of Kevin Harvick not returning to a car next year but becoming a race team owner, and he was linked with JTG Doherty. If he leaves Stuart Haas Racing, there's an open seat for somebody for somebody else. Uh, it could be any number of people. It could be Kurt Busch. It could be Ryan Newman. Who knows? But... That's another rumor that's out there is uh, uh, um, Kevin Harvick becoming a team owner next year with JTT Doherty, especially with the new car that's coming out. So that's another interesting caveat in all of this. Um, And I agree with everything that you guys have said about all the different possibilities. There are so many different possibilities. It's really hard to kind of peg it down until we hear the announcements of exactly how this is going to play out. But I think that's another uh, possibility to kind of put into the the, the, uh, mix here because uh, that opens the door for another place for Newman or some of these other drivers that are looking for rides. I have actually been thinking about um, calling racing and AJ since he just won Indy and he's been competitive in the Xfinity Series. I know it hasn't been rumored, and I know he's only part-time next year, but I'm just going to say I would not be surprised if he goes full-time with calling in the near future. Um I know there's no speculation or anything out there like that, but it just makes too much sense. He's doing good in the Xfinity Series and has been, and he just won another cup race. He said that he only came back for this guy because he was having fun and winning. I'm just saying. It, him and Justin Haley in the cup series full-time doesn't seem like it would be far off. But, um, yeah, the options are just endless calls. Since he's only running part-time, Newman could be in that car uh, next year at Calling as well. And like Jay said, AJ's going to run the road course races. But um, then again, I'm kind of hoping Newman stays at Roush 
because um, obviously they would put him in the Daytona 500 uh, next year. It'd be I would be curious to see what car they would do if they do it with him. Would they put the 16 out there? Would it be the 97? Would it be the 26? Um, or the uh, well, the 99 is now Suarez. So they can't do that. But um, <laughs> it just it's just crazy, silly season. I mean, there's so many options out there. But I know they would definitely put him in the 500 and at Talladega. So I'd be curious to see what they what number he would be. Where does Alfredo go? John Hunter Nemechek, um, GMS. And then oh, I wanted to bring up, too, that we were just talking last week about how there's another truck team that hasn't been announced that wants to go part-time next year. We don't. No, yeah. it's Toyota, Ford, or a Chevy, but it's not GMS because we know they're confirmed. So it's another team that wants to go to the cup level part-time. So that's another open seat. Yeah, it, it's been a crazy, silly season. Uh, Jay, you're up next. Well, again, uh, how do you spawn off of this? Uh, there's so much even there to, to talk about. But <laughs> one we do know as confirmed, uh, mentioned it earlier in the in the show, Sharon and I did, Josh Berry will go full-time with Junior Motorsports in the number eight. Berry going full-time in the number eight. So I'm, I'm glad to see that he got – he got mm, – I'm glad to see that he's going full-time. It's definitely deserved, and I think he's going to be pretty good. I think, uh, I don't know if he'll make it to the cup level. I wouldn't see why not if Junior Motorsports decides to go to the cup level. But they would probably bring up Allgaier first, of course. But I am glad to see that he's going to get full-time. But in just him going full-time next year, has me wondering because I did see where Sam Mayer is still going to be there full time, and then Allgaier is—I don't think he's going anywhere. So, what about Graxon and Michael Annette? Junior said that he might be running the five-car team next year. I saw that rumor speculating on Twitter today. So, excited for Josh Berry, but what's to follow? Um, honestly, I'm going to go out and say it. I don't know what the status of Michael Annette and Noah Graxon are because I feel like those are the two guys or the odd man out because I don't think all guys are going anywhere. Obviously, Josh Berry just got announced, and they're saying Sam Mayer is going to be full-time next year too. So somebody's seat is hot unless if they do go to five cars. Oh, it's my turn. Um, Yeah, I would say (laughs) – uh, with with them saying that Josh Berry is going to be in the number eight, which has in the past been a part-time car, um, I would say it's got to be either Noah Gregson or Michael Annette. And right now I would lean toward Michael Annette uh, being on the outside, uh, but it's not out of the realm of possibility of being Noah Gregson for a different reason. Michael Lynette has that leg injury, and uh, he came back at Watkins Glen, maybe prematurely because he was out again at uh, Indianapolis. So uh, who knows if he's going to be able to come back to the car and be able to race again. Uh, so time's going to tell the rest of that story. 
but I think it's possible that he may not be coming back. Uh, the other possibility is Noah Gregson. Noah Gregson has wrecked a lot of cars. Now, I've noticed that he has settled himself down during the second half of the Xfinity series, uh, and he has dug himself out from being outside of the playoffs into the playoffs. So he's shown some improvement in that regard. So that may help him save his seat. Uh, but uh, we'll see how he does during the playoffs. If he goes back to his old ways of wrecking uh, a lot of people during the race, uh, then I can see why he would not be back next season. Uh, but, again, time's going to tell the rest of that story. So, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, I'm trying to decide if if I miss Mike tonight or not, because I know this is one he would definitely want to be involved in. Uh, we'll, we'll start with Josh Berry. Uh, he's, he proved he deserves a full-time ride. He has shown he is capable of, of running and putting up good, good solid finishes, uh, even when he doesn't have the best of days. So uh, somebody was going to sign him full-time one way or another. Uh, I'm not sure about Tommy's statement of maybe he'll never make it to Cup. We'll have to see. So many things there, again, of whether or not junior motorsports will move up. But stick with the Xfinity Series is in that number eight. I think it's well-deserved. He earned it, and I think he's going to do some great things with it. From there, uh, there is so much. I, I don't even know if you can put Justin Algar as secure. I know he brings that branch sponsorship uh, but he's been there a while, too, of maybe it is time of when you look at the future. We look at teams that go with this young young team for the future. Junior Motorsports has to look at that. So maybe it is Sam Mayer and Josh Berry coming in and possibly even Justin Algar being the one to go, go out. But I don't think that's likely. The question between Michael Annette and Noah Gregson I don't know that Noah brings the sponsorship money, but I think he's good with sponsors. Michael Annette brings the sponsorship, but mm-hmm. I don't know if has had the best of results. He's got a victory. I get that. He's showed improvement, but he is always on the bubble. This year more so because of the injury and whatnot, but he is the one always on the bubble. Last year, Noah Gregson was in there contending for wins, picking up a couple victories. I look at his season this year. Sharon mentioned the wreck race cars. Beginning of the year, a lot of that was unfortunate circumstances, not of Noah's doing, in my opinion. And this is where I say, I don't know if I'd like to have Mike here or not to, to disagree <laughs> or agree with me, but um, not taking away, there have been other situations Sharon alluded to that maybe could cost Noah Gregson a ride, and I think has in the past already. So, yeah, I do think he is a huge question mark. Um, but I look at Harrison Burton. He won several times last year, hasn't this year. He got a ride and moved up uh, with Team Penske. I'm sorry, the Wood Brothers under the ban- uh, Penske banner. I do think that Gregson will get a cup ride. I, I really do. Uh, does he need to show some maturity, both with his attitude as well as handling the car? Yes, but we've seen that with other drivers. Does he have any victories yet this year? No, but neither does Harrison Burton. So there's a, I, I think the talent's there and, and a little bit of coaching, and I don't know what Junior's stance on it is. I know early in the year when he talked about his position and some of the things that have happened off the track rather than on it, 
Um, Junior never really said one way or another whether he was behind him. Uh, I think I think Junior is one that does understand that intensity and the situation. Maybe doesn't always handle it the best, but that doesn't mean you cut cut him off at the knees and boot him out either. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up. I do think Josh Berry would eventually make it to Cup, but um, it's just unfortunate that he's a little bit already up there in age, and he's well. I mean, he's only thirty. I'm not saying he's old, but I'm saying that he had to work his way to this ride, and uh, he really did get there, and he does deserve it. But um, Noah Gregson and Michael Nutt are definitely the ones that have the hot seats. Um, Noah Gregson has Homestead in Atlanta on his resume this year, and Michael Annette, I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad driver or anything, but in the Xfinity races that I do watch, and I have been catching in them, yeah, catching in the past two to three years, besides the Daytona win, I believe it was last year, I really don't see that guy running in the top 10, 15 consistently. I, I, I really don't. I'm not saying he's a bad driver. I'm just saying he's barely in the top 20 every every race that I watch. And that's with Junior Motorsports. And they've already announced that Josh Berry's full-time in the eight. I don't see Allgaier going anywhere. Sam Ayers said he was going to be full-time. So I definitely think it's a toss-up between Graxon and Annette for that final seat. But Josh Berry definitely did deserve this ride, and I'm glad to see it. I didn't realize it was going to be the eight car. I didn't know they had already announced the number. So Junior's passing the torch on his number to Josh Berry, so I think that's a pretty good compliment. Yeah, I do too. I think uh, it's a great compliment. I'm happy for Josh Berry. I think he he definitely deserves it, as you guys have indicated. And uh, uh, we'll see what Sam Mayer does. I'm just wondering if that was a premature comment from Sam Mayer that he's going to be full-time. If he's able to do in that number eight what uh, Josh Berry's been able to do, that's great. Uh, But uh, we'll see what happens in the end. But if he is going to go full-time and you guys seem to feel like that's going to happen, then uh, I think that uh, Michael Annette would be the first one on my list, Uh, not because he's a bad driver, but because he just, uh, like you guys have said, he's borderline so much of the time. And now with this injury uh, and the, the risk that he might not be able to make it into the playoffs this year, uh, I think that puts him on that hot seat. So, um, Jay, I'll let you finish up with the final comments on this. Well, I, th- I think that's where the possibility of the fifth car uh, comes in. And I think back, and I don't know if this is what it's stemming from, but I think, if I recall correctly, back when they announced Sam Mayer as a part-time ride this year following his 18th birthday, that the intent was, whether it was lockdown or not, the intent was the second half of this season being the part-time to split it with Josh Berry and then him be full-time the following year. Maybe they didn't expect Josh Berry to show what he did here in his part of the season, and they said, hey, we can't let him go either. So you're looking at possibly that fifth team or then one of the other two drivers or three, if you, if you count Algaira's possibility of being out of – that they want to keep them, keep them all. 
And like I said, I don't remember if that was part of the Sam Mayer initial announcement, if it was intent or lockdown um, or not, but that might be stemming from that. And if they're saying it is or going to adhere to it, that, then they have to look at putting, putting out a fifth car. The other thing I look at, and it's, but how can it's, they do that, uh, a little, Because uh, there's four cars that... Xfinity series doesn't have that rule same as the trucks. Remember, we talked about that with the truck series when I questioned that in the truck series. The cup series is the only one, to my understanding, that has that rule. Because Thor Sport okay, has been running five trucks. Car. The fifth car has to be a part-time car, I think, if you have a fifth car. But we'll have well, to look into that. I was going to say, that's another one I think we need to look at confirmation because... And I think when I talked to or chatted with uh, Bob Pockris on Twitter about that, of, of that fifth truck for that, they said the Cup Series is the only one that is limited to the four full-time. But we'll, we'll definitely have to, uh, to verify that. Um, the other thing, a wild possibility, and I know his performance this year has maybe changed that, had Alex Bowman not had his three victories this year, just taking Noah Gregson as the possibility of moving up of within the Hendrick and Junior Motorsports relationship, I think Alex Bowman was kind of in that position. Now, I know he did sign the uh, extension along with Ally. Got to look at that. Of Alex Bowman is another one. I like him, and he has done great this year, but he is always down right around the cut line. One win per year. Even with the three wins, he's still down there around that 16th spot of if he didn't have the wins, he'd be out. So that's one that I, I kind of had concern about. I know he's got the extension and he's got the three wins this year. He better keep that up because I think at, at the top level at Hendrick Motorsports, he's the next one maybe to be on the outside looking in, even with better solid performances because you got the young guns coming. Interesting. Okay, we're up at that uh, time of the night uh, where I do a special announcement, especially to our uh, new listeners. If you're listening for the first time, uh, we like to let you know that we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, But we do continue our conversation past that time, and we will keep the recording going so that you can hear the rest of that conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So in order to do that, uh, I go out on Twitter as soon as we complete our conversation here to let you know that the podcast is available. Uh, At that point, you can go to our player either at Blog Talk Radio or at FanforRacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, Usually we finish uh, anywhere from uh, 10 minutes to 30 minutes uh, after that 10.30 p.m. uh, time frame. But, uh, again, we just want to make sure that you know uh, that you can hear the rest of that conversation on our podcast. So uh, with that, uh, I believe it's Tommy's turn to come up with our next top topic. Um, I guess we could 
finish off the Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson thing since the last time we talked, I know that we were talking about um, Christopher Bell not returning Kyle Larson's calls, but now we got Christopher Bell's perspective uh, this weekend. So did you see any of that? Yeah, I did. Did you, Jay? Yeah, reference, uh, he didn't feel like Larson should have went to the media with it. Well, that, and he also said that uh, Larson sent him a text message at midnight (laughs) that night to say he was sorry. Well, and I I understand both points Bell is making of, yeah, maybe he didn't return it right away because he was in his time period of sleeping, whereas Larson was out still out and about and winning dirt track races at the uh, Knoxville Nationals and whatnot. But um, I I don't know. Maybe maybe Bell really didn't want to talk with him. You know, it's kind of surprising because we have seen, as we talked about, these two race against each other on dirt tracks and the likes and different types of cars uh, that maybe they didn't talk to each other and get it squared away. Uh, I know Bell still disagrees with the the statement of that uh, Larson was there and had position on him, but I really do understand that the fact that he was kind of upset that Larson went to the media saying, Hey, I did what I could. and, And he didn't that too, I think maybe should have been handled uh, a little bit differently or privately, if you will. But truthfully, in this day and age, social media, I mean, that's what it is. You, you know, you, you compare, you hear some of these other drivers uh, talk about it. Go back to the, the days of Dale Earnhardt, Rusty Wallace, you know, or the crew members that were with those drivers. There's like, there's no way Dale Earnhardt would have texted anybody and said he was sorry or whatever about anything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, this day and age, it's like, that's what's expected. Yeah. We chatted via messenger or chatted, did the text thing and, and whatever, you know, is it necessary? I don't know. I mean, I think back to the Joey Logano, Matt Kenseth deal, could it have been handled to prevent the on-track incident that happened? Yeah. But then again, Earnhardt handled all his, his way and was a seven time champion. So (laughs) who's to say what's right. Yeah, I think it's a different era, so it's hard to make that comparison. But uh, I think that what he was saying when he was talking about that text message uh, at midnight is kind of like he would have liked to have had Larson approach him before that with a face-to-face versus getting a text message with what he felt was a week, I'm sorry. Um, And we all know that text, Sincerity of a text message doesn't always come through uh, as sincerity. Uh, When you see somebody face-to-face, you get a lot better sense of whether that's a sincere apology or a not sincere apology. Uh, And I think that's where Bell was coming from. He would have liked the face-to-face so he could could have that sense of whether it was sincere. The text message didn't come across to him as being sincere. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that. Could they have handled this uh, privately, one-on-one? Absolutely. Um, and And you're right. I think he was also offended by the fact that Larson went to the media saying, I, I did everything I could. It's up to Bell. 
uh, well, that Bell dug his feet in even further with that. So um, hopefully these guys will work it out at some point and they'll have that conversation. But I don't think Bell's in any big hurry to make that happen. Uh, he's At some point they've got to put it behind them, though, and move forward. So we'll see what happens. But um, uh, Bell still sees it that he was wronged. Uh, and uh, is looking for an apology from from Larson. I thought Bill's perspective was interesting because um, when we talked about it last week, I mean, Larson did, I guess, still spin Christopher Bell, but it was just close racing, like we said, and he was just on the bad end of the deal. I don't think Bell's going to retaliate or anything, but um, it was just interesting to hear him he basically said from what I saw was that he gets sorry messages all the time or he would send out sorry messages all the time and people wouldn't respond to him. So he said he didn't really understand what the big deal was and why he went to the media about it. He was like, we could have avoided that whole thing. Basically he was, I think he was just basically saying that he read the message, and it, I think it literally just said, sorry, hate, I spun you. I think that was what he said he got at 12 o'clock at midnight. He he I, he did kind of say it didn't really sound that sincere. I mean, I, I guess I can agree with him, but, I mean, Kyle Larson also really wasn't 100% at fault. He did wheel hop or whatever you want to call it, lock wheels, and hit him, but they were just racing close for the lead there because Martin Truex was right in front of them, and it was one, two, three. So, I mean... It just happened. Um, like I said, I don't think Bell will retaliate, but now that we know both sides of the story, I just don't even see why this is a story because I don't think there's going to be much to come out of it. I think they'll work it out. Okay, Jerry. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. As far as the on-track itself uh, was one of those of a racing incident, both driver has their viewpoint. Uh, even after... Uh, after the race, though, Larson did say that, you know, he felt bad that he spun Larson out. Uh, you know, was it 100% that we've seen in the past of were there tears that he spun him out? No, but he said, hey, he didn't mean to. They just, they both fighting for the same real estate, and he felt bad that it happened. Uh, so I understand Bell's point of, yeah, the text message, especially, okay, that time of night uh, of maybe not being the most sincere way. We saw it with Chase Briscoe and Denny Hamlin. They both went face-to-face. Voices raised a little bit, but they at least then face-to-face got it out of their system, got a little bit more understanding from each side. Uh, So, yeah, that always does seem to be the better approach uh, for multiple reasons, but I don't think it carries over to any on-track situation. I do see where Bell's coming from then of, Okay, Larson immediately went to the to the media saying, "Hey, I sent him a text. He didn't respond. He's the butthead, not me." <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I totally get where Bell's coming from, uh, but I agree with, with a little bit of what Tommy said too. I think it was Tommy that said it uh, that it really shouldn't even be an issue. Uh, it, at, at some point. These guys have to move forward from that. We can't keep talking about this every week. Uh, And uh, they have to let go of it and just kind of go back to the racing. 
Now, I also agree that it's probably not going to play out on the track. I think these guys are mature enough not to let that happen. But uh, hopefully uh, they do gain uh, something from it, and hopefully Larson won't send a text message at midnight uh, to say that he's sorry, uh, but uh, maybe handle that a little bit differently for the future. Uh, so we'll see how they proceed from here with it. But uh, for me, I'm ready to move on from it. Tommy? I don't really have much to add. Like I said, I don't think Bell's going to retaliate. I don't really see why there's an issue. It was just a racing incident. But I do get where Bell's coming from. It doesn't seem sincere. Um, But, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't really have anything else to add. Okay. Okay, you're up next. Well, uh, as we had posted of, of to talk about, uh, I look at Mike's of the decision for, what does it say, new policy starting this weekend for road courses. If NASCAR considers the track wet, restarts will be single file, and then there's a less than, oh, okay, yeah. So starting with that of Wet restarts would be single file versus the the double file restarts when it comes to road courses. Okay, so um, let's go with Tommy. Your thoughts? Well, I think there's only road, one road course left now, the Roval at Charlotte in the playoffs. So if it rains, that'll be the only race it affects. Um, I've enjoyed the road courses this year, um, but I have to say that I'm glad this is the last one. Um, Freddie Kraft on uh, DBC, uh, Door Bumper Clear, I, I watch some of that, and I see some of it on Twitter. I have to admit I kind of agree with him on this statement. I know we're talking about the restarts and the rain being single file instead of um, two-car, but before that um he did say that he didn't discontent tie him with the Indianapolis road course why are we doing rovals when there's so many road courses that they could go to like road america watkins Glen, sonoma i kind of agree hate to say it like that but um i've enjoyed the roval and daytona road course and the indianapolis road course like i said it just wasn't a bad race but there's so many other options out there for road courses that they can do. Now, um, the single-file line, we've seen that at Bristol Dirt, and we saw it at Coda, I believe, when it was raining really hard and the drivers couldn't see. So I, I definitely agree that it's probably a good decision to do that because Coda was bad. There was so much spray. They were wrecking everywhere in the Bristol Dirt. They couldn't see because of the dirt everywhere, and they were wrecking. So, you know, the – the wreck fest, while it is kind of entertaining sometimes, at some point it's not really entertaining when it's only a race between like five or ten cars to finish the race, um, like the Daytona Bud shootout last year um, where Eric Jones won and the car was basically junked still. So, I mean, I'm all for them changing it to single file to prevent that from happening. Like I said, it is entertaining sometimes. I'm glad to see that these guys walk away from the crashes and they're fine. I'm not 
saying the crashes are cool by any means, but I'm just saying it does make the element of the racing more entertaining and exciting. But at the same time, it's ridiculous that all these cars are getting torn up. So I definitely think the single file line is a good decision. Yeah, I guess I'll say I'll hope that the single file um, resolves the issue. And maybe you guys can help clarify this for me. I'm trying to understand how the single file restart is going to help them as far as visibility and seeing what's happening with the car in front of them. I I think the visibility is still going to be limited uh, if it's raining out uh, like it was. That was uh, kind of an awful situation at Coda uh, where they really couldn't see, and we saw quite a few accidents. Uh, as a result of them not being able to see because of the spray from the the, the uh, cars. So if it helps them, then I'm all for it, but I, I just don't see how it's going to help them. I think there's still going to be spray from the car in front of them, uh, and drivers are still not going to be able to see. And you know that even though they're doing a single-file restart, as soon as that race begins, these guys are spreading out three, two and three wide across the track. So I'm having a hard time understanding how that's going to help. So I'm hoping you guys can help me understand uh, where that helps. Jay? I'll I'll try and start. And my my experience comes from the dirt track, and Tommy mentioned it. It did apply a little bit at Bristol when they they went to the single file, and I know a a lot of people question that. That didn't surprise me. Uh, the situation at Coda, and I think this is why it really comes into play. I mean, that was a really dangerous situation. Um, mm-hmm. When you have the side-by-side, you got two cars that are putting up the spray, whether it be dirt or water in this case. The single file lessens that by half. You only have one. I think the biggest option is as you get rolling, yes, eventually if you're going to go for a pass, you're going to go two or three wide. But to start with, if you're starting out that way, and we know restarts, as they say, cautions breed cautions, you're going to try and capitalize on all you can on the restarts. And you're side by side, depending on the track, you have nowhere to go. If you start single file, something happens in front of you, you have that lane to move over, uh, I think is what we're looking at. And the reason I say that from dirt track experience, normally it is on a restart, especially if the track is uh, losing its grip uh, there's, or it's slick, then when you have two cars starting side by side, one of them loses it, they're sliding up, they're knocking into another one. If it's single file, then you've got to have the car in order to complete the pass. So, yeah, they normally give them, they'll tell them, you know, two or three tries here on a double file. If you guys can't get it done, we're going to take that option away, put you single you pick your spot to try and drive by instead of starting on outside of the guy. So, and I think for safety reasons, like I said, I think the Coda Coda situation really exposed that. You also then got to look at how hard, if it's raining, how hard is too hard with visibility or even the wetness sure. of the track and that spray coming up, like you mentioned. But two cars, like I said, you're decreasing it by one car. I think the biggest thing is at least to start there then, if something happens, you have that option and maneuverability of the outside or other lane being available versus having nowhere to go. Okay. Uh, Tommy? 
Yeah, I'm sure the single file restart is going to only help a little bit, but at least it does help, and it does help prevent, I guess, more carnage from happening if it was two cars lined up on the restart. So, yeah, it's only for the road courses when it rains and Bristol dirt, but um, I think overall, if it does help, I'm all all for it. Um, I mean, Coda was just, when it's raining that hard, I think they should just Ferrari, and then when it lightens up, because we do know that they can do rain tires, then go back racing and still do signal file, I guess, just for precautionary reasons. Okay. Yeah, I kind of see your point, but I think that once the race starts, they're going to fan hot into two or three wide, and you're right back in the same situation again. Um, but the the intensity of the rain does make a huge difference. So I hope that they do kind of look at that. Uh, and if it's raining really hard, uh, they're better off taking the cars off the track, in my estimation. Um, or, like you said, maybe changing to rain tires will help. But um, uh, I think if it's hard enough, they, they need to take the cars off the track. So... Uh, if it works, uh, I'm all for it. So we'll have to see how it works, <laughs> Jay. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it is an absolute fix-all. I, I say I think it's just a, the little steps they can to try and improve it, give them a little more maneuverability. And we've seen that of even look at an, at an oval track, and uh, let's let's take Martinsville, for example, in years past, you want to be on the bottom. You fight to get to the bottom lane. Somebody up on the top side is in that looser, less grip area. I say looser because I'm thinking dirt right now, but less grip area when it comes to Martinsville. Okay, so with that, of if you're putting cars out there and there's less grip on one side or the other, you're eliminating that. Yes, you're still going to have somebody go for a pass and get two wide or possibly three wide, but then it's when the drivers have caught that car, they got a faster car or set them up and get in that position, not that they're automatically outright starting out there, not ready to go. So I, th- I think that's kind of the thought process anyway. Okay. Okay, Tommy, have you got another hot topic? I do not. I, we've hit everything I wanted to discuss tonight. Okay, what about you, Jay? Well, uh, Sharon, I'm going to leave this up to you uh, of whether or not you want to, what do we got, 15 minutes? Uh, Carry it over to Thursday or not. Um, It's not one we had listed, but with the talks we've had about possible team owners and, and number of teams at the cup level, does NASCAR need to change the top 36? Okay, not the top 36, the charter system seems like now we have more teams than the 40 and this charter thing has become a real issue. Okay. Uh, Tommy, are you ready to talk about that? Uh, uh, it's up to you. Um, do you want to go first or? Well, I'll let you go first. If you've got, if you feel like you want to talk about it, let's go ahead and do it. Um, so I think they should look into it because I, I thought we saw where Rick Ware wasn't going to run all four of his cars. Um, 
and he was only going to run two next year. But either way, I do think they should address the charter system because with all these new teams and stuff entering, we're about back when it used to be 43 cars and the top 30 or so cars, top 30, 35 cars had any chance to win a race um, back in like the early 2000s and late 90s. And that that's what I remember anyway. Because there was always those cars that were 40 to 43. They were always engine failure or, you know, accident, whatever. And then you had about 35 cars that actually finished the race. But, um, yeah, I think they should address it because all these cars coming in, and I, I don't mean to say that Rick Ware and Starcom and teams like that aren't competitive. I like seeing the field <clears throat> full with, like, right now they have 40 spots. So I like seeing all 40 spots. I don't like seeing 36 out of 40 cars on the track. I want to see as many as they can get. Um, and I would prefer those cars be competitive. And, I mean, Rick Ware and them, um, Dick Lode and Matt Tiff's team, Liz Fast and all those, they are competitive at Daytona and Talladega. And it's entertaining when one of them wins, like when Justin Haley snuck one in and it rained Daytona. But at the same time, like all these part-time teams and teams expanding and stuff, I would rather see just all of them and then maybe still fit Rick Ware and all of them and, and maybe go back to a 43-car field. Yeah, I do agree that they need to revisit uh, the whole charter system. I mean, uh, who would have guessed? that a team like Trackhouse Racing in their first year would go out and buy a team like Chip Ganassi Racing uh, to get their charters. And that's after they tried to get charters uh, the other way, and and they were so expensive, it was prohibitive. And that's amazing when you think about buying a team was more cost-productive for them than buying a charger. So there's something wrong with this scenario. And so I think they need to really take a look at that. And I don't think it'll be the last time that we see that happening unless they do review the whole charger system. So I would like to see them review it. I'm with you guys. I would like to see as many cars as possible to be out there on the track. We've got a lot of new teams coming into NASCAR, and I think that's a good sign of health uh, for the future. Uh, but I think they've got to review this uh, going into this next season and beyond uh, and see what they can do to keep these charters um, from being, I don't know, if manipulated is the word, but to, to look at the manipulation of these charters. Uh, and how teams are manipulating the charters for their own benefits. Um, I, I think that that has to be looked at, and there needs to be something put into place um, to ensure that all of these teams that are coming in uh, have an opportunity to race. So, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts? I'm thinking you only left me 10 minutes left on the show that maybe we should have waited until Thursday. But uh, to start with, <laughs> I understand why the charter system was put in place for a team that when they get out 
for whatever reason, have something tangible to sell other than their assets, which are partially possibly outdated, you know, not up to date. So I understand that concept and the intent behind it. However, as Tommy mentioned, times are changing, and, and by NASCAR's own admission, that's what they wanted with the next generation car was the cost for a team to come in and get new teams to come in. But the teams aren't looking at, okay, we can go get a team and try and make it into a 40-car field. They're looking to try and get into a four-car field because the 36 are locked in. So then you go to the, okay, we got to buy our way onto one of the, or buy the charter, okay? Now it's to the point where Sharon hit it. The charter is costing more than it's worth. You almost can buy a better uh, a whole team. Or in the case of Junior Motorsports, they said, we're going to stay in the Xfinity Series because we can't afford to buy a charter, which guarantees the starting spot. What, and I don't have the answer per se, but I think the direction they need to look at is, if the 36 teams that are charters right now, more money throughout the year, whether it be race purses or at the end of the year, I get that. But that guaranteed locked-in starting spot, I think, is what needs to go away. And Tommy mentioned it, maybe going to three provisionals, uh, back to a 43-car field. Yeah, you keep those three provisionals, and I say it goes based on the year prior's results. I know for the first five races of the year, it was uh, last year's, and then it goes to the current year's. I was okay with that. Um, But I think this whole 36 locked-in guaranteed, I just, I don't, I've never really agreed with that, even when it was the top 25, 36, whatever number you put on it, of a team locked in. And I say that this past weekend, we had 104 cars from across 11 different states coming to start 36, and it ended up being 39. They had to race their way in, period. And you got the best, fastest cars on the track. And that's what I like to see. Now, they did give away, I think it ended up being nine provisionals. Some of them I didn't agree with uh, for other reasons. Track champion at this track. You've got teams coming from 11 or 10 other states that can't get into this because they don't run at this particular track. So that I, I disagree with that because you're limiting then. And if you're trying to encourage new team owners, junior motorsports, whether it be Kevin Harvick, uh, GMS trying to race uh, come up, what or a new team, you really are telling them, hey, you got four chances, those four spots that aren't locked in, versus if you say, hey, you could race your way into the top, however many. Now I think back to back when it was the what was it, past champions provisional or or something to that effect, of that wasn't needed. Do you have another one to open up? If you have a team. Just for example, you do away with the locked in. Chase Elliott doesn't doesn't make the race. They want Napa and Chase Elliott in the race. They pay a team, hey, you have a starting spot. Let us drive your car with our driver and our sponsor, and we'll pay you. They're still going to get that bonus then if somebody tries to buy their spot in the race afterwards. It is up to them. Do they want to race? Or if they sell it out, they're going to get something for it then. So that is an option, and I'm not saying it's the best option I'm, or like the way that played out, but it happens. But if a team is that determined to have their driver in and put that money in, they're still getting something tangible out of it. But if not, 
they race their way in and they have the, the right to race, uh, you know. So that that's the way I look at it. I really do think the locked-in thing needs to go away. If there's a way they can give teams bonuses, you're one of the 36 that have been here and in the top 36 in points, we're going to give you extra money throughout the year at the end of the year in the final rundown. I'm all for that. Uh, you know, like I said, I understand why the concept was there, but I think it's a, got a negative impact on new owners trying to come in. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up? How much does Rick Ware want for his charters? I think that should be the question. Because <laughs> um, he still has four, um, to my knowledge. So he must be asking a lot. And Starcom, too, because I, I believe they're full-time also. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see those five charters go to – these new teams, but at the same time, um, maybe Rick Ware, since they're changing to a new car, and he said that he wanted to downgrade to two good cars. So maybe he's thinking next year, maybe he's still in the game for two of those charters to be sold. But um, maybe he can find two drivers and get that next-gen car, and maybe maybe they're competitive next year. Who knows? Um, it, Time will tell that, but um, I would I'm all for them going back to the 43 car field doing the past champions provisional. I remember that because I feel like isn't that how Richard Petty got to race all those extended years because <laughs> um, he was the previous <laughs> champion. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't think anybody's really a big fan of the 36 car charter system not the drivers, not the people trying to buy the charters. <laughs> but um, it's interesting. It makes makes it interesting, I have to say that. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if NASCAR does decide to take another look at that and make some changes uh, for next season. Other than that, though, I don't have a whole lot to add to, to what you guys have already said and what I said earlier. So, Jay, you get the final word here. I just really, like I said, if, if NASCAR is truly saying the next-gen car, they want more team owners, more manufacturers, if you're saying they're only going to get to compete to four, for four spots as it is right now, uh, that's, not, that's not a sell. I mean, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you're saying, hey, you have a shot to make it into a quarry car field, uh, that's different, um, you know. So... I I sympathize with the owners, and, and I'm not one, but I can I can sympathize with them. Of if they decide to get out, all they have is their the cars they have, the equipment, whatever. And I say some of it obviously is going to be out of date, and they got to sell for half price or whatever to the Arkham Menard series or other things. And that's why I said I just think there can be a different way other than guaranteeing them spots in the race. Uh, and me as a fan, I think I mentioned this. When it came to the L1 penalties, take, for example, I'll use Chase Elliott again, L1 penalty, kick him out of the playoffs. What interest does that draw over the next three races to see if he can race his way back in uh, to the playoffs? So now you're talking, you're involved in the fan base and the uh, people tuning in to see if that happens. And I go back to Kyle Busch Mm -hmm. when he had to do it missing those first 15 races. How many people have said they were a Kyle Busch fan that year? You know, uh, so I just think it adds some intrigue. 
Yep. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if NASCAR does it. Uh, Tommy, we're ready for our roundtable, so why don't you kick us off there? At Cincinnati 5 fan, Tommy uh, underscore C24. I haven't tweeted anything in a while, but um, I'll get to work on that. I'll see what I can think of to send out there, my thoughts, and uh, maybe I'll put my thoughts on paper for another article in the future. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, always a lot of good stuff out there. And I, too, the the whole twist of Front Row Motorsports and Michael McDowell gives me another little twist to the uh, Michael McDowell article. So uh, <laughs> I will do my best to get that out here. Uh, like I said, I might actually wait till the playoffs with it, uh, the fact that he is going into the playoffs guaranteed at this point. So, We'll see how that twist uh, twists it as well. Okay. I am Vampir Racing Psych on Twitter and Vampir Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including VampirRacing.com. I'm uh, definitely looking forward to our next show on Thursday night when we preview the races at Gateway for the Truck Series and uh, Michigan for the Xfinity Series and Cup Series, and the Arkham Menard Series, as well as the Illinois State Fairgrounds and Irwindale Speedway. Um, I don't know how I'm going to get that into our tagline for the radio show next week, uh, Thursday, but uh, it's going to be interesting. A lot of racing going on this weekend, so uh, definitely looking forward to talking about that on Thursday night. Uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in to hear what we have to say here on Pampa Racing Radio. And uh, a big shout-out to our our Pampa uh, Racing crew here tonight, both uh, Jay Huseman and Tommy Kraft. Really appreciate you guys and uh, always appreciate your uh, thoughts and insight during our Hot Topic conversation. So um, with that, guys, I guess we're ready to call it a night tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to Thursday. All right. Talk to you Thursday. Good night. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.